Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 124 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Leon Wheeler, the poker room manager at Resorts World Las Vegas. He's the director of poker operations there. Leon's involvement in the poker industry stretches back over 30 years. He's had a front row seat for the poker boom and bust cycle in Las Vegas, having worked with a number of top properties in the city over the years. As live poker booms once again, he's earned his way to now manage one of the top poker rooms in the city. Not this episode, we'll hear how Leon slowly but surely rose through the industry ranks and get to know a little bit more about his life away from the felt. Leon, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. Cool. And, uh, you know, we've become, I'd say, pretty good friends over the last couple of years. And uh, this is I would, fun. I, I feel so. like I've, I've been waiting to do this for a while. It's going to be a lot of fun. Because uh, as much as I sure. know about you now, you know, through the research that I've tried to compile the questions and stuff, I was like, oh, there's some interesting nuggets there. Um, we'll start all the way from the beginning uh, on your Facebook profile. It says you're from Oklahoma. So <laughs> originally Oklahoma, I was born on uh, Fort Sill Army Base uh -huh. in 1970. Um, my father was a drill sergeant uh, at the base. I used to sell newspapers and shine shoes when I was nine, ten years old. Goodness. It was quite a it was quite a, a fun childhood in that in that regard. Do you have any uh, siblings as well? Like, you know, what was sort of like family life? Uh, and I guess on the Air Force base is also, you said Air Force or Army base? It was Army base, but we were uh -huh. stationed in uh, a couple of Air Forces bases over the years. We went to Germany. Uh, I have two older sisters. Uh -huh. um, they're each three years older than each. We're each three years older than each other. So, uh -huh. uh, so I'm 53. My sister is 56. And I got one fifty-nine. Uh-huh. Goodness. So, Oakland, so you lived in Oklahoma till you were about teenager? Uh, we came out here when I was 15. Wow. Goodness. Right. Okay. And, and obviously, you know, you attended uh, high school over there. Las Vegas was very different uh, back in the 80s from it is. I mean, same vibe in general, but significantly smaller, a little bit more of a small town type of feel for the residents who were there. Uh, can you describe what it was like as a teenager in Las what? Vegas in the 80s? There was uh, 300,000 people here when I got here, eight high schools. Um, now there's over 50 and what, we're at 2.2 or 2.3 million. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a, been a crazy boom. You know, uh, my first uh, idea of Las Vegas was, you know, my parents going downtown and uh, I would go down there with them and walk around the casinos and downtown when I was 15. Uh -huh. um, Things were a little looser back then. Things were a lot looser back then. There wasn't much to do for, you know, a 15-year-old. But, uh, you know, I met some friends in arcades and stuff. That's how I got into poker. Um, my first uh, trip to the Bingo Palace, which is now Palace Station, I met a kid in the arcade um, and his parents. Uh, his stepfather played poker for a living his, and his uh, mother dealt and floored in the town back in the Golden Nugget days with you know, uh, Eric Drake and those guys uh -huh. back then. And they, they taught me poker at the kitchen table when I was 15. I fell in love with it. Goodness. Well, what is it that uh, prompted your family's move to Las Vegas in the first place? Well, economy in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they were looking for a better life. 
Interesting. Okay. And, and yeah. Vegas, I mean, there's, you know, obviously tons of places. Vegas came calling, like, you know, your father was, like you said, they served came, in service. Uh, they came on, well, he was retired. He retired in 79. Okay. Um, they came uh, to Vegas for a, a little vacation uh, and hit like, a, I don't know, eight spot kino for like $700 and thought this was the greatest place on earth. <laughs> and that's they came great. out here they they went busted a few times and you know um that's when um i had left home when i was uh 16 and a half mm-hmm. two weeks after my 16th birthday i left home and went on my own wow they um they you know lost all their money and said mm-hmm. we're gonna share an apartment with another family so mm-hmm. i said that's all right now I'll, I'll go on my own as a teenager so I, uh, that that can't be easy no, I still finished high school. I was an emancipated minor. Um, that's where you can sign your own, you know, school notes, things of that nature. Uh, so I'm, I moved in with a, a friend of mine, and then we eventually uh, picked up another friend. We rented an apartment on uh, Sunrise Mountain and went to El Dorado and finished high school. Goodness. Now, like, I, my original question was like, you know, did you miss do you now miss anything about those quote unquote simpler times in las vegas but perhaps it wasn't so simple uh you know kind of making it was uh it was definitely interesting i you know i um i started working um on the strip when i was uh right after i turned 16 i was a bus tables at a place called westward ho i don't know if you ever heard of that i've heard of it yeah it's actually on this property uh stardust and westward ho was bought out to make room for this property Mm-hmm. and uh so i bust tables there and, and then 10 by 10 months i was i went from you know washing dishes to uh frontline cook wow and then i did did that until i was uh 21 yeah and that that's when poker i guess sunk its claws a little bit more into you, you got your uh first dealer job at the gold coast um actually the first job i oh. got was the maxim open in uh, 1991 that was a two week tournament and uh that's where i got my big break huh. and like none of the tables had rails on it it was crazy my first first hand half the cards went off the table it's crazy maxim like the magazine uh maxim you know where the uh mgm is now or actually uh, no it's the it's the barbary coast uh, sorry the uh Comra- cromwell okay parking garage that's where the maxim stood Got it. Wow. Okay. How did, well, how and why did you get into dealing? Like, like obviously you're 21, you know, now like, uh, you know, legal to do everything. What is it about well, poker dealing that appealed to you? Well, that was just the job in the industry. Uh, I was, you know, introduced to it when I was, when I got to town and, uh, I played before I was 21. We, you know, went to card room. I won't say where, but I, we would go into card rooms and as long as you don't order a drink, they don't bother you. Right. <laughs> so, so uh, when I I knew when I turned twenty one, that's what I was going to do. And uh, I went to dealer school actually before I turned twenty one. So uh, the day I turned twenty one is when I started looking for a job. Pat Barnes gave me my first break. It turned away a lot of experienced dealers and gave me uh, an opportunity. And then uh, I went on to get hired at the Gold Coast. And uh, you know I was awful my first year. In fact, my first boss, you'll never make it in this business. You need to go back to school. Blah blah blah. Right. So I, I just felt like, uh, you know, I wanted to be the best at it. So huh. I made the made it where I was the best dealer I could possibly be. Right. I was pretty good. Right. So, I mean, I had the privilege or the opportunity, whatever you'd call it, to stand at the Gold Coast. But it's more in like recent years, folks. If you don't know where that is, it's just across the street from the Rio uh, off the strip. Um, 
when I was there, it was already long past when it had a poker room. Uh, you were there for five years. For those of us who never had the opportunity, what was the poker room like? Uh, you know, how many tables? Well, what was the atmosphere? It was a very popular poker room. Um, we had daily tournaments. We had 11 tables. Um, we had the first thousand player tournament in, in Nevada. Uh, oh, wow. It was a limit hold'em, $125 buy-in limit hold'em. We had tables in the sports book. We had tables in the lounge. We had tables upstairs. <laughs> it was crazy. And uh, we, uh, we had a, a, a limit hold'em poker tournament. That was the biggest tournament in Nevada at the time. I can't even like imagine that in 2023, a limit hold'em that's not the WSOP uh, going ahead. So this like, was probably uh, 90, 92 or 93. I can't remember. Goodness. But it, we had a we had the Gold Coast Open every year. Right. And we right. we would take over the ballroom, and then we we we'd have uh, you know big games: Cowboy, uh, Wolford, uh, Eskimo Clark. You know all those guys, men the master. They would come up and play. 150, 300 limit or limit um, was the big game. Right. No limit was was just the uh, novelty at the time. Right. I, I, again, I've heard stories. I wasn't, you know, around back in that day, so to speak, in the industry um, of the stardust, of the dunes being the big rooms. Mm. Obviously, the Mirage opened up uh, their room. Yeah. What made the Gold Coast poker room unique and a place where people wanted to play? Well, it was it was uh, more about locals, and we had a lot of retirees that played there, and it, and we had these ten dollar buy in tournaments with ten dollar rebuys, and they people just fired away at these things, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, not very lucrative to deal, obviously, but but they were a lot of fun. I mean, I, there was times where I went, I would work thirty straight days and wouldn't wouldn't put in forty hours. Wow. So, so it, it was a grind. I would take my uh, $40 envelope to cross the street and run it up on a black dollar blackjack table and then get into a 4-8 hold'em game and try to make a living. Interesting. Uh, so I was going to ask about that. So, I mean, a lot of, I mean, this is well before the moneymaker boom. Uh, mm -hmm. You saw the appeal of working at the felt as a dealer. On the playing side, did that ever occur to you or, you know, was that ever sort of like a, a plan, a thought, a hope, a dream. Hey, I, maybe I can play this game for a living. Well, um, of course, every, everybody dreams of playing for a living, but you know, uh, I, I don't know if I could ever think of a harder grind than playing for a living at the time. You know, I had children young, so I, my daughter is now 30. So I had her when I was 22 and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I needed benefits. I needed, um, I needed stability. And, you know, I broke in with a lot of guys that, that are playing professionally now today. Mike Matasaw, we broke in together at the Gold Coast huh. uh, years years ago. Um, then he went on to Sam, Samstown, and then he ended up buying a third of Scotty Wynn when he won the, the the championship, and that's how he got his start. I remember that big hug. I think uh, you know the famous yeah, uh, very, the, very famous hug. <laughs> big big yeah, hug. I think I think he bought a he bought I think it was like twenty five twenty five hundred dollars for a third of Scotty Wynn, and turned into you know. Three hundred fifty thousand or whatever it was. That's and he never looked back. Nice score. Well, that's that's yeah. pretty cool. I didn't know that. That's very cool. But um, he didn't have any children. Didn't raise a family. Things of that nature. I, I had I had a family to raise. Sure. Um. Well, you know, again, you had. Uh, I think I I even saw somewhere on one of your profiles that uh, you know, besides when I actually went to the and college, 
went to the school of hard knocks and you know it's pretty clear you know making your own way through it and you know grinding hard you were very motivated to succeed um you know your first major job there at the gold coast you were there for five years what would you say were some of the big lessons uh, that you learned from that and that you know you can even still take with you till today well i mean just uh i, I did learn a lot about poker uh, at the Gold Coast. We used to have a straight high game there, and then we brought in high-low split, and I became one of the best high-low split dealers in, in the country. And um, that just really showcased my skill, which in turn led to other other gigs. You know, um, I, I was there for five years, but we, we moved that poker room to the Orleans. So that was the same poker room. Oh, so uh, okay. I spent 18, 18 years with the, with that poker room uh, and, okay. and later became assistant manager and, and – um, but, uh, you know, I, I just learned uh, all my skills at the, at, from the Gold Coast to Orleans. And then then I went on to, you know, work uh, cruises with uh, Linda and Jan, yep. uh, Linda Johnson, Jan Fisher, and uh, uh, Ben Lamb, or not, David Lamb, and right. uh, Matt Savage was on those. And, and those were a lot of fun. But they weren't extremely lucrative back then. So uh, I eventually started working for the websites. I worked for uh, the uh, Absolute you know, when we did Aruba, did, I did Aruba for five years mm. and then later went back for another tournament, did the PCA for 13 years, did EPT yeah. Monaco for five years. It's, we, we, uh, we've been all over the world, my wife and I. Right. Yes. We'll definitely uh, touch upon those. And you know, I noticed those very interesting uh, places. I mean, we certainly did a lot, had your finger in a lot of pies at the time as well. Uh, I hadn't realized that, you know, sort of the room was moved from yes. Gold Coast to Orleans. What exactly does that mean? I mean, not not all. I mean, as a player myself, also, I've been around. Why would that happen? I guess they're owned by the same owner, but why would why would something like that happen? And, and we've seen things even you know over the last couple of years of like consolidations of a few rooms into one main room. Like, why would something like that happen? So they uh, they took a successful room and and they were opening a new casino and they made a bigger uh, poker room out of it and they were able to design the room uh, specifically just for. Uh, you know, tournaments and, and you know, obviously cash games too. But uh, they just, one day, they just closed the room at the Gold Coast and opened it up to Orleans. Wow. And okay. ten, 10 minutes later, they did reopen the Gold Coast, but it, it didn't uh, didn't last. It didn't have a um, a uh, Baskin Didn't have Robbins. the same appeal. Didn't have a Baskin Robbins. Didn't have, <laughs> they did not. <laughs> they had um, terrible mics, though. That was a burger place in the Gold Coast for years. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Um, so you worked your way up from dealer to shift manager, that sort of a thing already at that time, you know, obviously again, you're working really hard. Did you sort of have goals, aspirations to keep, you know, moving up the ladder or were you kind of content of where you were at each stage of your career? I really felt that I was, I was always going to run my own room, uh, someday, uh, but I wanted to get the right experience and. I wanted to, you know, get the right opportunity. You know, I felt like Resorts World uh, was more of a destiny for me. You know, I started mm -hmm. my career on this property uh, many years ago, and uh, I felt that had a had a cool story. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, in fact, when I was with Boyd Gaming, and they were, you know, they were planning Echelon Place, which what what this place this property was originally uh, designated for. Um, they were going to open a 20, 20 table card room. And that, mm. that was my idea. I was going to run the, run the room here at Echelon place. And of course the recession hit and things didn't go their way. So I ended up going to, uh, to Aria. 
right right but now you get to around a 30 plus table room there so yeah even more tables there for us. that's cool yes that's mm. cool um so while you were at the orleans you know like you said 18 years total 1991 to 2009 the poker boom happened what mm. was that like i mean obviously it happened all over the world but of course you know las vegas and plus the city's population got bigger more tourists are coming to the city you kind of had a front row seat to it, an interesting place. What was it like from your perspective, the poker boom, like those 2003 to 2009? Well, I tell you, you know, before the moneymaker effect, it was, uh, you could shoot a cannon through these card rooms, you know, and, <laughs> and they were just, you know, it just whatever hot spot was happening at the time. Go Coast would always, always kind of survived in the Orleans. They, they had always had a, a pretty good product, especially with the high-low split they have there. And that, so it was, uh, you know, surprising to see them um, survive over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, places did come and go. They, card rooms open and close all the time. But then the moneymaker effect happened. And then, you know, it just, uh, it, it opened up. And then No Limit just took over. Right. Oh, okay. So and was that, like, how did that affect uh, or have any sort of consequences on the type of work you were doing? What sort of adjustments were you making on the fly when you start seeing just hordes of people coming in and wanting to play this game they saw on TV? Yeah, well, you had to you had to learn how to really handle a no limit game. Uh, it, it is quite a bit different, you know. Uh, I always I always enjoyed dealing a twenty forty limit hold'em game, and you ask any dealer, they can make a good living off twenty forty uh, limit hold'em. And of course, no limit is a, is a bit different. It's, the action is a lot slower and, you know, it's, um, you have to adjust to the, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, you had mentioned that you started uh, working with the, the rooms, you know, Absolute over there in Aruba and you work with poker stars and their live events as well. How do opportunities like that come around? Were you looking or they found you based on, you know, the fact you already had decade and a half worth of experience? Well, I think they, they found me, um, I did have a pretty good reputation with uh, being a, an excellent dealer, and uh, I'd always uh, dealt final tables, not necessarily World Series. I didn't work a whole lot for the World Series, but like, you know, for the, the World Poker Tour, I did work uh, final tables for them. And then we had originally um, started the Tournament of Champions at the, at the uh, Orleans, and um, I dealt all the final tables there. And then that was, was that people, Mike Sexton's event? It was. And, yeah. uh, I, I'm always said that, you know, if it wasn't for uh, a tournament of champions, there might not be a WPT. Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, I mean, that I, I, I think I even saw this like a 45 minute video. Uh, like that whole thing was televised to see like young Phil Ivy, who wasn't yet 21 years old standing on the rail. Uh, what do you remember yeah. about the tournament of champions? Well, I mean, if you want to check out that video, check the, check out the final tables, you'll see this, some young kid. <laughs> I had a pretty good pitch. <laughs> That's true. I, took, um, uh, I did take my craft very seriously. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, anytime I approach a final table, I study chip stacks and, I, you know, make sure I'm um, sharp as can be. Sure. Uh, I, I don't know which order to go in, but you did mention, you know, you focus on your craft. You mentioned uh, Linda Johnson and Jan Fisher, good mutual friends of ours. Uh, how are you working on uh, card player cruises as well? They had told me just last year, they said, uh, you know, from when we saw Leon, he till today had the fastest hands we've ever seen as far as like uh, dealing like that. So more I, I did have uh, I did have uh, very quick hands and um, 
I don't know. I just enjoy being excellent at it. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was very, very, uh, very cool to so, be noticed. Mm -hmm. So the dealing, you know, poker room managers, like it's not necessarily your conventional nine to five. Lots of folks here, you know, we love playing poker recreationally, serious recreational uh, professionals obviously make their own schedule. When you're a yeah. dealer or shift manager, you're working shifts and often you do take on multiple jobs or you, you, you switch from like a morning shift to the graveyard shift to the swing shift. And, you know, there's this dual rate stuff. Uh, which I, I'm not 100% sure I completely understand. Like you're doing kind of like both jobs at different times, like the managing <laughs> and the dealing. So I don't quite understand one, one sort of thing on the timeline. So you were simultaneously having your regular job in the Orleans, in Las Vegas, but also when the big live events came in, you know, the islands on, you know, in, in Monte Carlo, all that stuff. Yeah. And you just sort of took a break and did that. Well, I mean, I always uh, sold this to uh, to my um, my home casino that it's it's good networking and and it and it is. I met a lot of a lot of good friends over over in Europe when I worked over there. So they allowed me to go and work these events, which uh, you know um, I, I still have friends today uh -huh. that I know that come over here and see me every time the, the World Series, every time the World Series is in town, they come and say hello. And uh, you know, I met them 15 years ago. At, in the sure. bahamas or or in monaco sure a lot of folks have only played poker in the united states uh what's the difference uh you know at least from your side of the felt working those events overseas uh in europe uh an online poker operated event like you were more in the cash game uh side of things so I, what, yeah, I ran all the what are the practical games. differences well cost for one um when they first recruited me to uh, run the cash games in uh, in Monaco, they sent me over the the rakes, you know, like the rake structures. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm looking at these rake structures. I'm like, oh my god, they're 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 not going to get anybody to play this. I mean, they were playing, they were taking 15 euro a hand for a two five game. Um, yeah. Just think think about that for a second. 15 oh, euro I, a I hand for a like two five sure. game. <laughs> Yeah, insane. I'm like, there's never going to be uh, enough players to play this. And, mm -hmm. you know, day one, we opened up 48 games. No problem. People standing in line. Right. We were taking 25 euro a hand for a 510 game. And uh, we made uh, over a million euro in 10 days right. for uh, poker stars. And turns out that was the cheapest break in Europe. Exactly. So and, and this is something I mean, again, like I said, you know, I, I, I've been fortunate to play in, in Europe, in the United States, and there's a major difference there. <clears throat> From your perspective, having worked it, having seen it, why is that the case that the rake is tends to be so much lower in the United States than in Europe? And even though it's higher in Europe, nonetheless, like you said, people are still lining up to play. How is it? How is it that it works? Well, there? the biggest difference is competition uh the market here in vegas is extremely competitive so everybody has to you know stay cheap and give away free drinks and uh you know make make it uh affordable for the players to play here on a daily basis you mm -hmm. go to europe that's one card room especially most of europe they don't have set card rooms you know they're mostly festivals that follow from, from place to place i mean mm -hmm. they do have some but uh it's typically uh, a festival setting Mm -hmm. and uh they can they can uh they they can they can get the that kind of high rate and their right. their uh gaming tax is a lot higher right 
Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, also, this is not a question I had planned, but again, you have a unique perspective having, you know, been around and done a lot. Tipping culture is also very different from country to country, especially, you know, yes, it is. so what can you explain from, from your experience and perhaps clue people into, it's not always like it, uh, like, like you're used to here in the States. Well, I mean, in those events in Europe, uh, we'd have to, to take an allotted amount to pay, to pay the staff. So it's, it's less of a tipping culture over there in Europe and you'll find that in restaurants also, you know, they pay their employees higher and they, you just, they just don't, aren't expected to, to tip, even though U.S., uh, you know, the U.S., uh, U.S. customers of theirs, you know, still tip. Right. It's just not as, not, not as customary. Right. Okay. And was that something sort of difficult for you to sort of get used to each time of like, hey, they're not, still, you know, token me a buck here and there? Well, uh, we, in uh, Monaco, we started taking one euro a hand just for the staff. Okay. So they were, <laughs> we forced them to tip a dollar. Yeah. And then, then they didn't even notice. Uh, we took a one, one euro every hand for every hand played, and that went to the staff. And then, of course, on our, uh, on our tournaments, we would take a uh, set fee, 3% or whatever it is. Sure. Is that also, I mean, again, like the difference in competition, is that also why we don't tend to see, you know, as many promotions, bad beat jackpots, you know, aces crack, wins rack kind of thing in the European rooms? Correct. I mean, because then you have to take more money off the table. I mean, it's uh, anytime you have these promotions, people don't understand where the money comes from. It comes from the table. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, they're already taking uh, a big chunk with, with rake. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly not as popular in, you know, in the uh, Europe market. Okay. And how about on the high seas themselves? Uh, you know, I've never uh, been fortunate enough yet to go on a card player cruise, but what's uh, unique about dealing in a poker room on a cruise ship? Well, um, they're a lot of fun. They're they're more of a social atmosphere. Um, my wife and I now we we just go as customers now, and we just enjoy ourselves. You know, we let's we we just uh, hang out with three hundred people for a week, and they all we all get together in the evenings and play cards, or in the mornings and play cards. When when the ship's in the in the shore, we all get off the ship and go uh, go see the whatever spot we're in. Mm -hmm. Is that something you were doing social. when you were working on the ships as well? Well, when you're when you're working the cruises, you're just like a passenger. So you're a subcontractor. You're not really a, a, a employee of the cruise ship. But you're an employee of card player cruises or whatever right. cruise line you're on. Sure. So you would when you're in when you're at sea, you're dealing and you take time off. You know, you work one shift a day, just like you would a regular job. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was a blast. It was a blast. Cool. So. Okay, in poker, we're supposed to shift gears every once in a while, throw a little curveball. So we're not going to throw a curveball or anything, but we will switch gears. You have mentioned uh, your wife, Amanda. You've mentioned that you had kids already. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about family. Um, first of all, uh, as far as I know, Amanda, she does work in the gaming industry as well. How did the two of you meet? She um, she goes back and forth from poker to, to table games over the years. And... Uh... So at the time when we met, she was dealing poker at the time. And her first night at work at the Orleans, she happened to be following me. And uh, every time she would come to the table to tap me out, um, she would say, last hand, honey. 
half an hour later the next table she's a half last hand sweetie and so finally I, I when i was getting out of the table i said you keep this up i'm gonna have to buy you a drink <laughs> and she said okay and uh, the rest is history oh that's adorable that's really sweet uh and how long have you we, been married now 22 years wonderful Not that's beautiful um, we, and, we have a really good, uh, good love affair. It's, it's really a special story. Beautiful. Um, and you've told me in the past also, and you said it was okay to ask if you'd, you'd rather not talk about it as far, but whatever you feel comfortable sharing. You said, you know, obviously a very proud father, uh, four kids all together, and you're also a, a brand new grandpa. So uh, what's uh, mm. dad life and grandpa life like? Well, being a grandparent is just absolutely remarkable. We're we're so ecstatic. He, uh, Jackson, he's uh, turned five months the other day, and just the he's just the most adorable thing you ever want to imagine. I can't wait to have more grandkids. Um, <laughs> but being a father, I I, I just uh, spend my whole life just trying to be a great role model to my kids. You know, uh, all my kids are successful. I don't have anybody still living at home or drug addict or or, or whatever. Uh, they're all very successful, and we're we're very blessed. And uh, my wife ran a tight ship at home, so she kept them in line. That's that's good. Is that tough? I mean, Las Vegas is a very unique city, at least from perspective of someone who you know. Lot, most of us out here, we go there as a place, a vacation destination, or we even go multiple times a year. It's different when you live there. Was that you know? Did that sort of come into play as far as raising a family and also literally working in the casinos? Was that you know something unique? Well, that's. That's the first thing people say is, oh, how, would you, how could you possibly raise a family in Las Vegas? And, um, you know, outside of the gaming industry, we're, we're a regular community. You know, we, we go to school, we go to work, we, I go, to, we go to church. You know, I, I don't go to church as much as I should probably, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's whatever you put into it, you know. So you get, you get, out, you get out of it whatever you put in it, I guess I'm trying to say. You know, like uh, we would work late in the swing shift and uh, we're there at every football game, every baseball game, every cheer competition, mm -hmm. regardless if we're with two hours sleep, doesn't matter. That's really, you know, we're, we're always there. Like my boys were always in uh, sports and, you know, the girls were in cheer. Nice. Our first time we went to state, we went, we beat uh, Gorman. Our kids went to Palo Verde. So that was a big, uh, it's a big rivalry here. So mm -hmm. when we, we beat Gorman in 2010, we went to, went to state when our uh, our oldest daughter was uh, a varsity cheerleader so we went that was fun nice well that's that's just great it's also you know so many of us you know we have this love for poker you know even if we're not working at it you know always want to kind of be there and you know with what's going on and it's a struggle you know for for, for the regular folks who aren't just you know full-time professionals or even those who are um you know to have that work-life balance it seems like it's something you worked very very hard uh, to try and achieve and uh, now you're reaping the fruits of that labor so that's a beautiful thing yes thank you cool uh back to poker switch gears back again uh, you mentioned uh, you had worked uh, at aria and at win for both of those properties uh, about five and a half years at each uh you know that kind of covers sort of like the 2010s period of your career you were a shift manager at both properties you know, at this point already, you had, you know, quite a lot of experience under your belt, but, you know, those, anyone, you know, you know, those names, Aria, when, you know, premier properties, probably among the top poker rooms in the world, 
What sort of lessons did you learn specifically working uh, at those two properties over the years? Well, I mean, starting at Aria, that's when I really got um, exposed to what high limit poker is all about. And uh, I learned a lot and made a, made a lifelong contacts uh, working with the, that group over there. Mm -hmm. And we had a really spectacular group of people that, that uh, came together and uh, you know, started hosting high stakes games. And, um, you know, with the high, with the starting of the high roller bowl and, you know, uh, super nosebleed uh, cash games gave me a lot of experience and uh, opened my, uh, my eyes to uh, a whole nother, you know, segment of this uh, poker community. Sure. Were, were you involved sort of in at, at that stage in like the decision making to try and bring those players and start those games? Or was that something, you know, more of like a top level decision? This is the market we want to cater to. It was more of a, you know, uh, more of the like Adam Altwis, he was our director at the time. And, you know, he came from Bellagio. So that was that was the goal is to, you know, to make this uh, another Bellagio to where we have the high stakes games. Okay. So it was. I didn't really uh, bring it in, but I certainly um, did my part in uh, certainly taking care of these people. Sure. And you know, obviously uh, you became incredibly well regarded as a top professional in your field over that la over that decade. I mean, it's one thing, you know, it's like you know, the Cal Ripken thing. You just sort of like show up to work every day. But besides that, there's there's got to be maybe like a special sauce. How does it happen that someone working in the industry <laughs> gets to earn the trust and the respect of the players? Well, I, I just feel that uh, being a good ambassador of this industry is, is, is extremely important and having, you know, your uh, morals and ethics in the right, in the right places. So uh, I, I gain the trust of these high limit players and, um, you know, they, they trust me with their money and their, and they trust me with their, uh, their gaming decisions that we have to make in these things, in these spots. That's so uh, I think it's all about, you know, gaining the trust of these guys. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, you have a quote there. You describe one of your traits as someone who cultivate. I'll quote here, cultivates a company culture in which staff members feel comfortable voicing questions and concerns, as well as contributing new ideas that drive company growth. So I'm wondering if you can point to any particular examples of that happening, specifically team members of yours or players suggesting something that you then took and were you know, able to sort of like help turn into an idea or an enhanced experience for the players or for the room. Well, I don't know if I know of anything in particular. I just, I just think that quote just simply says that, uh, you know, we're, we're for the employee as well as the, as the guest. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, I feel like, I work for the employee as well as our customers and, you know, uh, I'm an open book and th this kind of thing doesn't run itself. And I'm just the guy in charge, but there's several people behind the scenes that give ideas and, and, you know, um, which makes us successful in Aria, same with when, and it, we're taking that over here to the resorts world. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, good answer. Um, all right. Well, uh, folks, if you're just listening, you don't see, but Leon is sitting in a very special area of the Resorts World Poker Room. It's time to start talking about uh, Resorts World. It is the newest poker room in Las Vegas. Um, about a year after you began working there, you were there right from the beginning, um, mm -hmm. upon the departure of uh, the beloved uh, Gary Hager, who took some time off, you became 
the director of poker operations. It's a role, as you said, you know, you knew you were destined to have someday to run your own poker room. Um, and it's something that for the very first time after, you know, a 30 plus year career that we've gone through, you know, it's abundantly clear. You worked very hard to get every opportunity you've gotten. What did it mean to you to finally get the nod? Well, um, it, it meant a lot. And Gary uh, was a big part of that. And he had he had entrusted me in, you know, turning the reins over and uh, uh, very flattered and uh, nervous in that same regard. You know, it's a big step. And uh, I knew that it was always going to be the case. Just, you know, when it actually comes, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, yeah. am I gonna, <laughs> how am I going to be? Am I going to be successful? All these people are relying on me. And, you know, uh, Gary had a, a lot of faith in me, and I, I learned a lot from Gary, and I, I owe him uh, greatly. And that's very humble and beautiful. Um, now that, you know, you're, like, there's a, there's a saying in Hebrew, you know, what you see from here is not what you see from there. You have, do you have any sort of different perspective now in, uh, in, in these shoes that you're filling? Well, yes. Um, you know, uh, it's before when you're a shift manager, you're running eight hours of a of a poker room and you're still on after after eight hours as well but not nearly as much uh now i'm working seven days a week and you know even my time off is i'm always looking at poker atlas or answering emails or you know when any of the big guys call i have to pick it up so it's it's a a, a lot more of a responsibility right so i okay Interesting. Uh, when Resorts uh, World opened, you mentioned about uh, Poker Atlas, uh, it was a very notable thing. You know, the newest poker room in the city, big 30 plus table room, you decided <laughs> to adopt uh, Poker Atlas as your chosen software. Uh, what do you like? Uh, I just have to mention also, uh, folks who haven't heard it or listened to it, uh, in episode 121, we had John Friedberg, the uh, founder of Poker Atlas, and I know he plays in your room regularly. Um, why did you choose Poker Atlas, and what do you feel? How do you feel it benefits your room? Well, Gary had uh, used Poker Atlas in uh, Boston, and he opened Boston Encore Boston with Poker Atlas, and uh, he realized it's a far superior product and i had never worked with atlas before but i tell you i, I don't think i could ever go back to working with bravo at this point okay uh, yes we do have it it does come with its challenges being uh, you know it doesn't dominate this market just yet right uh, but i do feel it's coming and uh you know uh, the win is going to be taking on uh, poker atlas soon enough after the world series and once they become online that's a big player and uh, yeah. we're hoping other places follow um it, it's just it's hard to describe, you know, the uh, the effort that the Poker Atlas team puts into their product and um, the lack thereof of the other company. I don't want to bash anybody, obviously, right. but, you know, the, the, they don't spend their research and development on uh, the enhancement of poker. It's hmm. not as profitable for them. They're a table games company that has poker software, basically. Right, right. But it's, it's good, you know, when, when you work for something you want it badly enough, then people will take notice and rooms will adopt uh, your software and your product. Uh, I totally get it. Um, you know, obviously, it's a, a team effort to make Resorts World the wonderful poker room it is. But, you know, leadership does start with the top, uh, you know, with so many great poker rooms in the city to choose from, uh, many of which we've mentioned uh, over the course of the show. Um, how do you feel Resorts World stands out? And, and I, guess, I guess I want to ask, what type of poker player are you hoping walks into the room and takes a seat? 
Well, I, I feel we stand out be, because we have the uh, best staff, in my opinion, in the city and probably in the country. Uh, our dealers are, are hands down the best in the city. Um, we spread a lot of mixed games here, and uh, we feel that that's the cornerstone of our business. Uh, obviously, we want to get more low limit, but uh, that will come in time. Uh, these mixed players are all seasoned players, and they have followings. So we want their followings to come here. Um, and you can ask any of these high limit guys when they play at other places that, that the dealers here are just a top notch. And we feel we, we keep them prepared for all the uh, changes and the evolution of the mixed games that they constantly change. And we're trying to stay on top of that. Okay. Uh, well, I definitely, uh, you know, obviously Leon's going to say good things about his room, but as someone who, you know, has been there for many, many days, many, many hours, uh, it is my personal also favorite room in the city. And again, not just saying that because Leon's here. Uh, and of course, as a mixed game player and lover, uh, my favorite place uh, to play and uh, couldn't agree with you more about the staff, most wonderful people, uh, great human beings. Um, you had mentioned a couple of times about the high roller scene. Again, I mentioned you're sitting in a special part of the room. Obviously, we want to respect the privacy uh, of the players. Uh, but, you know, the, the high roller scene, the cash games is something that a lot of people are, are curious about without revealing something that, you know, the players would feel uncomfortable. So can you describe sort of what goes on uh, as far as the high roller scene within the resorts world poker? Well, we... Uh... We spread a three six hundred game uh, five six days a week. Um, those guys feel comfortable with us. Uh, we do offer a cheaper rake. We offer butler service, and we offer uh, good a good good staff. So I feel like you know, I feel like we can offer more than our competition in that regard. Okay, that's uh, that's fair. Good pitch. Um, one last question from me before we move into the community questions. The Cards Chat folks, uh, forum members, uh, wanted to ask you a bunch of stuff also. Uh, but last question for me is, you know, Leon, obviously we've been talking for a while and it's abundantly clear you're in a, you know, thank goodness, you're in a great place in your career, in your life. Um, have you given any thought to what you want the next few years to look like professionally and specifically at the helm uh, of Resorts World? You know, for example, if I just sort of handed you a magic wand, Tell us, what would you like to see? Well, I certainly would love to see more traffic on this end of the strip, and I, I do feel it's coming, which uh, in turn will give us uh, more traffic in the in the poker room. But I, I want to, you know, we want to make our mark in the poker community. And I think we're on the right track. You know, this is not an easy thing to do. It's a, it's a work in progress. It's taken a lot of uh, some of the other clubs a long time to get to where they're at. And uh, we know that it's not going to be easy and we're just going to continue to do what we're doing. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, we become uh, greatly successful. The old adage, uh, if you build it, they will come. Uh, and uh, I will right. certainly uh, do what I can to, you know, to, to say here, here. I, I personally think you're doing a great job and, uh, you know, for, you. For whatever, whatever that means. But uh, I, I personally think, you know, I'm, more people ought to patronize the room and uh you know hopefully from uh you know what what your dreams will come through that more people will keep on coming through those doors um folks this is the segment of the show where we now turn to you guys our cards chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests we have a dedicated thread on the cards chat forums for this 
So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, our first forum question comes from Love Poker. Thanks for submitting this one. Um, who asks, Leon, a lot of us talk about poker's future here in the forums, and we wonder how are things going in the live game world? Because a lot of us just play online. Um, casinos in Las Vegas doing with live poker, and are they back to where we were before COVID? I, I do feel we're on our way back to where we were before COVID. I mean, before COVID, things were going uh, really well. Um, COVID certainly put a wrench in the gears, uh, but I, I think that people miss the social aspect of poker, and I think that's what we're going back to, and I, I believe that's extremely important. You know, uh, this is an entertainment still you know it does provide a living for a lot of people but uh bottom line this still is an entertainment and we we have to go back to that and to show people a good time when they're here and that's the, i think that's important uh Joga has this question for you uh i don't even know if, it, if you can encapsulate it in one in just one question what is your main responsibility during a tournament that is being held at resorts well, um, I don't really have a tournament director, so when okay. I put on a lot of hats here. So my main responsibility is to make sure the tournament runs smoothly and make sure I have all the pieces in place and, uh, and that my staff is prepared to run a, a successful event. Uh, no one look, wants to look bad during a tournament, so we try to think of every possible thing that can go wrong, and we uh, try to manage the expectations of, uh, of our guests and to, to you know put out a good product. Nice. Okay. Uh, are we looking? Uh, no, that's probably not. But hopefully uh, we will see someone uh, fill those shoes and give you a little bit uh, more, more time to focus on other stuff as well. Uh, I got to generate more revenue before I can get some more, uh, some more help. Go. Okay, cool. Uh, another question from Burma Joga. I like this one. Um, not necessarily resourceful, but over the course of your career, uh, have you ever seen or witnessed anyone cheat in a cash game or tournament? And how did you deal with it or how was that dealt with, if so? Well, i tell you, if there's money in it, there's somebody trying to cheat. Uh, we have, um, over my career, several several times people have tried to cheat uh, wow. from, especially in Europe. Uh, there's, they, there's a lot of teams in Europe where they have spotters and, and signalers and, uh, you know, people trying to introduce, take tournament chips out of, out of play and then reintroduce mm -hmm. them. Um, we just... We catch them when we ban them for life. Wow. And we okay. tell our neighbors about them. Yeah. Uh, that's One strike something policy. we take very seriously. One strike. You cannot cheat in this business and think you can play somewhere else. Right. I'm certainly going to tell all my friends about it. Right. And, and one thing, if I recall correctly, I remember when I first came to the room, Gary had told me just as far as like an extra security measure, you know, a lot of uh, poker rooms, they just have like those RFID chips only in like the high whatever, like 5K, like the flags and the cranberries, but like you guys have yeah. even in the $1 chips. Every chip, every chip is RFID. Uh, it's, they have some great technology in table games. They can, you know, the, somebody could rainbow a bet on a blackjack spot and it can tell you exactly what the bet is. And if it's, if it's a snapper, they know exactly the payout. It's, it's an amazing system. Yeah, that's, that's this pretty is, cool. This place has got some of the best technology, I'll tell you that. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, every chip is RFID and, um, you know, we, we don't have a problem with counterfeiting here. Right. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, Jamil uh, has this question. Uh, how do you juggle things as far as room management when there's more than one tournament running in your room simultaneously? Good question. That is a good question. Um, well, um, we have four 
we have four different chipsets, so we uh, we run we can run four different chip four different tournaments at the same time. So I just put them in separate areas of the room. With Poker Atlas, it's extremely easy. I can it's 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 really seamless. Cool. Okay. Uh, Chica Bonita has a question I've never heard asked before, so I like it. It's a good opportunity to uh, talk about the property as a whole. Uh, please tell us, Leon, if the poker room and the hotel uh, or the resort are equipped with the necessary infrastructure to receive people with disabilities, and if so, can you talk about it a little bit? Hmm. Well, we are. Uh, we keep up to the ADA standards. Um, there, absolutely. This place. Uh, is the, the the latest technologies in every aspect so yes this place is definitely uh, set up for uh, the disability okay uh there's another question here i mean you can choose where you'd like to go with it and not to put you on the spot but chica bonita also wants to know please tell us about the most scandalous romantic dangerous funny or shocking situation that you have had to face in your work at Resorts World thus far, we'll give you uh, a, that we'll is give you a interesting question. That's fine. So <laughs> hmm. I'm not quite sure. Um, I, you know, it, it's been pretty smooth here at Resort World. I, I, I do have a, a story of a, a shocking uh, decision I had to make in Europe. Go for it. Let's hear it. <laughs> Well, over there, um, the room shuts down, and they they run a lot of five card PLO. And okay. uh, player, when they get the last hand of the night, players hop from table to table, right? So the this guy sits down, makes this game eight handed. They they deal the cards eight handed, and then three people get all the money in, and uh, they want to run two boards. Well, there's not enough cards left for two boards. Right. So that was the the pot was about ninety thousand euro and three three or four different side pots, and then of course the the guy that's going to scoop everything is an American, and I'm dealing with uh, Italian and French. And then the American, and they think uh, nothing's on the up and up because the American's going to win. And I have to decide what to do of uh, the second board. So I get everybody to agree to, to one burn and put five cards out. And of course, when the, the French and the Italian didn't win, then that, then all hell broke loose. So uh, I put my my best uh, actor actor uh, hat on and I took pictures of all the hands and sent them on their way. And I, I wanted the... Uh, the tournament director to make the decision the next day when there was a thousand people in the room as opposed to 20. It was very sketchy situation. Interesting. Very sketchy situation. Uh, feared for our safety, to be honest. Wow. Goodness. It was just uh, me, uh, me and a couple of staff members and an angry mob. Can I just and ask I, what was the decision the following day? Did they confirm your ruling? Yes, they confirmed my ruling and, and uh, told these guys the bad news and they just, Easier to accept when there's a thousand people in the room as opposed to twenty. Right. Wow. Okay. That was that was the most uh, most sketching sketchy uh, ruling that ever scandalous ruling ever happened. That is a tough happened. one. Very interesting. Yeah. Burn uh, FX always asks some creative questions. Um, what is the one thing that you wish was different about poker and why? Hmm. Well, uh, you know, I. I think that uh, the promotions in poker really kind of hurt it. I wish that I wish that all card rooms didn't have to put promotions out, but I understand why they do it. And uh, I, I, I believe that promotions hurts the play of poker, and uh, I wish that wasn't a part of it. 
That's interesting. So I'm going to push back a little bit as a player. I'm wondering why you say that, because for someone, you know, who like me, who will go ahead and visit a few times a year. You hear about a cool bad beat jackpot or, you know, this room's giving, I don't know, if you make a seven card straight flush with, you know, the, all the cards on or something like that, like, it's cool. And maybe it's, you know, perhaps a bit gimmicky, but it's like, oh, that might bring some people to the room. So why would you say that you think it hurts both? It does bring people to the room. I believe the though um, once you have these high high hands or high jackpots, all you get is uh, jackpot chasers, and it, and it hurts the action. Ah, okay. People are just waiting waiting for the four of a kind to come, and to lose the four of a kind takes forever. Right. right. So you you get uh, you get everybody waiting around. Uh, okay. When you don't have that, you just get straight poker, and that's what I enjoy the most about. It. Cool. Okay. Uh, good rebuttal. I like that. Uh, Takis30, thank you. It's a name I haven't seen before. Thanks for submitting this question. Uh, wants to know, Leon, how's the poker scene today different from the beginning of your career? Can you tell us some of the biggest changes that you've witnessed, uh, you know, I guess over the last couple of decades? Well, the, the biggest change is no limit. I mean, mm. no limit was just a novelty back then. And, you know, uh, a room that had a 10-20 game, that, that was the big game. Uh, you know, you had your four eight limit or a two four limit, and then you had the the ten twenty, which was the the big game. Right. And now, after the poker broom, it was no limit. Now you're having just absolute nosebleed no limit games, and people that have made millions and millions of dollars on no limit. It's just not done in limited. Right. Like it, like no limit. Well, I mean, since you mentioned it, I'll, I'll ask as well. I'll follow up. You know, it's not too difficult, I suppose, to get used to, you know, when you just enter the industry and you see amounts, okay, 10, 20, what's a big pot there? $1,000, something like that. And then- $1,000 you know, is a massive pot. Right, exactly. So, and then, you know, all this money starts flowing in and you as a dealer sitting there and you're dealing with, you know, chips where, you know, the, the chips alone worth $1,000, $5,000. How does one become desensitized to the money and, you know, remain focused on, you know, running things and not think about oh well that's a you know down payment on a car kind of thing that's the biggest challenge that people have when they when they're in this business is you know they're dealing with the amounts that are just astronomical to them we're we're just normal regular people and you're dealing you know uh, like we have a 501,000 game that plays pretty you know throughout the year wow and there's over a million dollars on the table you know it's just a crazy amount of money we have that yeah. Nick Airball, Matt Berkey, heads up game that had a lot of money on the table. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you just have to, you know, train yourself that you just, it's a 10 20 game with a lot of zeros. That's all. Uh huh. Okay. Just push the chips to this person and that person. Push the it's chips. Just... It's all, it's all chips. It's all relative. Right. Uh, not just Sami, another name. I maybe I've seen it once. So thanks for submitting this question. I really like this question a lot. Um, cause you know, good, uh, clue into how things really work. Um, I always hear, says Nadja Sammy, that casinos don't really value poker or poker players as much because they don't quote, make enough money, uh, in the poker industry and that they only have poker rooms in order to attract as many people as they can. From your experience, is that true? Well, I mean, anybody can do the math. No, they don't make a whole lot of money on poker players. But you know, it's a, it's a, it is in the room, just like a, a, a Katy Perry show. You know, it's not going to make a ton of money. We got to pay the artist a lot of money, but it gets the people in the casino to spend money at restaurants, to spend money at table games, to spend money at slots. 
So yes, it's it's true that it's not a, there's not a, a whole lot of money. The the profit margin is very thin. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's that ancillary co- uh, spend that the that the customer uh, spends. You know, the the husband or wife that brings their spouse uh, to the casino to play other things. You know, or the the person itself that plays table games or goes to a show or spends a thousand dollars at a restaurant. Right. You know, that's why that's why there's these, uh, you know, uh, all these high end restaurants and high end shows. And, you know, the gaming aspect up is a lot less than it used to be. Very interesting. That's, that's some fascinating information there for a lot of people who aren't aware of it. Um, Aguero Bruce has an interesting question. Uh, just, I guess, matter of factly, I would love to play at Resorts World next time I travel to Las Vegas. They say, uh, do you guys have any plans of having tournaments with buy-ins of lower than $160 uh, per event or and or a low stakes series? So uh, $160 is probably the lowest we're going to go because, you know, we don't want our percentage, we don't want to take our percentage to be higher than 18%, you know, like we don't want to take a lot of money off the tournament. Right. The lower you go, the less money you make off of it and the, the higher the percentage that we're going to take. So right. um, we are going to have poker series. We are, we are gearing for the lower player. Uh, so the, the two to $500 range is geared for the lower, lower player. Uh, they're just not, in, like I said before, the profit margin isn't great. So we have to, you know, we have to cover expenses and, Mm-hmm. try to bring people in you know i think it's so but we do have to, some things in the works i think it's so Go important ahead. to understand that sort of a thing because you know folks like us players we think okay what do we got in our bankroll what's our disposable like what can we spend but it's important to sort of understand this is not even like a you know a profit grab but it's just a matter of like you know there's x's and o's involved and it's important to understand that side of the equation. absolutely yeah cool. absolutely uh Zoro222, Zoro222. I like this one. How many decks of playing cards, uh favorite spade playing cards, I should say, does the resorts world poker room use in any given month or year? So uh I just ordered a thousand setups, and that'll last me probably a year and two or three months. So the with, with the use of the shuffle machines that they put wear and care wear and tear on the cards we don't have to change them like tables games do but um our decks are a lot more expensive than theirs are also so i would say we'll probably use um 700 decks in a year Uh uh-huh interesting 700 setups so so 1400 decks i remember growing up as a kid you know when i in la i used to go to vegas with my family four times a year or so and at the time you used to see like these decks of cards that all of a sudden they had like a a marking on the left side or a hole punched in the middle. What do you guys yeah. do with your cards after you stop uh, using them? We destroy them. We don't give them away. So we take them out of play and then and have them destroyed. Okay, interesting. Uh, Fast One has this question. What's your favorite poker variant, Liam? My favorite, favorite poker variant? Yeah. Uh, I like Eight or Better Stud. That's nice. uh, a game I was raised on and I just... It is a dying game, but uh, you don't find it out by itself anymore. But uh, that's my favorite game. My favorite nice. game to deal, favorite game to play. Nice. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll mention this a question I forgot to ask you. Um, you know, it's just as far as your own playing. I did look at your hand in mob. You got a hand in mob there, almost 50K in winnings going back to 1998. You got about a dozen results there. 
Um, oh, no tournaments, interestingly. When did you decide to play a tournament to go play cash? Sort of, um, you know, what what makes you decide, okay, I'm going to go and play a tournament today or, you know, like, do you sort of just get the itch? Or like, how do you decide how often you're going to play? Well, it's basically uh, what time, what disposable time I have. Mm. So I don't get to play at tournaments as, uh, as much anymore. Um, I do enjoy them. Uh, I did have some success at employee event for years. I took second. I think it was 01. And I took uh, a chop first two years later. Um, didn't win the bracelet, but um, uh, it was uh, a good experience. And, um, you know, nowadays you get involved into a tournament, especially a big one. It's take you three or four days. Right. <laughs> I, just don't have, I just don't have that kind of time to sit around in a tournament. Sure. What uh, what else do you do uh, in your downtime to decompress? Uh, play golf. Oh, nice. Okay. Favorite play course? golf. My wife and I play golf. Uh, Highland Falls, I think, out here is my favorite course. Nice. There are some nice and expensive ones. I mean, obviously, like Wolf Creek and Mesquite. I would love to play that every week, but you know, I'm not going to pay three hundred dollars a week to play golf. <laughs> okay, it's good to to get out, especially when you're in you know indoors uh, at all times. It's good to get out and see some some uh, nature on uh, the golf course. Uh, three more question askers we've got here. Uh, Louvart, uh has a marketing question. In your opinion, what is the best way for a new poker room to market itself? Well, um, in years past, you'd always want to buy a page out of in Card Player magazine, but uh, nowadays it's all about social media. You know, mm. Twitter's the uh, what everybody's on Twitter, and everybody finds out about what you're doing on Twitter. So I, I post, I post multiple times a day on Twitter from our uh, our account. So if you want to follow us, it's RWLV Poker Room on Twitter. Okay, that's good. Always good to be where the people are. Uh, Nasty Bent Gorilla, good questions here. Um, you mentioned one. Okay, what steps do you take to promote responsible gambling and prevent problem gambling within your poker room? Good question. Important question. Well, um, uh, we follow all the responsible gaming guidelines that the uh, gaming control sets out for us. We have pamphlets at the cage, pamphlets at the ATM machines, pamphlets at the sportsbook machine. But you know, outside of that, we we, we kind of keep an eye on our on our guests. You know, if they're doing a forty eight hour session, you know, we we don't want them to stay stay that long and and, and overdo their uh, their their sessions. Sure. But you know, we just keep an eye on people. Good. That's important. Important to look out for everyone. Uh, sure. Last question from Crystals. Uh, you have hosted a number of unique events. The This is their wording, not mine. The Card Player Lifestyle Mixed Game Series, Zach's Guinness World Record for the Longest Cash Game Session, and most recently the Matt Berkey versus Nick Airball Heads Up Match. Why does Resorts World seem to be so open to these types of events, and what would you look to be involved with in the future if opportunities came about? Well, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I believe these are uh, marketing opportunities and they're unique and they get uh, people start talking about them. Uh, the card player lifestyle uh, event was was great. Everybody loves Robbie and uh, they uh, they pay they pay attention when when he's around. And he, a lot of inf influential people come through here just to say hello to him. He's a very and it's good to have. I heard. <laughs> I heard that, too. Thank you. Good to have these kind of things in the room. Uh, you know, the Nick Airball, Matt Berkey game. Um, 
I gained over 1,200 uh, Twitter followers in one day just having that game. Wow, it, that's a big one. It, it's a big one, you know, and uh, people people like the, I wouldn't say controversy, but there was, you know, there's some heated uh, discussions between the two over the sure. course of uh, time, and they decided to settle on the felt here at Resort World, and uh, we were honored to have them. Goodness. They were both wow. gen gentlemen, and I hope they come back. Nice. Well, uh, everyone, I want to thank you very much for sending in your questions for Leon Wheeler. And uh, again, just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread in the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. And I will also add, folks, uh, if you like what you've heard and you want to meet Leon in person and check out the Resorts World Poker Room for yourself, Please join me there for my fifth card player lifestyle mixed game festival. It's going to happen pretty soon after this episode gets released. We'd love to see you. Uh, Leon, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to tell the card champions? Well, um, I just uh, would like to say that, um, you know, Resort World Poker Room is an up and coming poker room. And um, please do yourself a favor and come check out our property and our poker room. Uh, you won't be disappointed. And uh, if you do come by, make sure you say hello. Nice, beautiful, and straight shooter. Love it. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you and uh, getting to know you a little better. Leon, um, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.